All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Redeemer. My name is Kevin Tapscott. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really glad you decided to join us this morning. Really exciting um, that we are back at Will Rogers, back inside. Really exciting that there's AC um, when it's just starting to get really, really hot. I think this week we're going to get up to 99 at one point. So um, be praying for me. I don't like the heat. It surprises me every year for some reason, even though I'm used to it. I'm from Texas. But I'm really glad um, you're here. Really glad to be in Will Rogers. As Brian said before, thank you so much um, just for extending grace and being understanding and being willing to wear masks. I know it's not easy. It's uh, uncomfortable, um, but thank you. We really do appreciate it. So we're continuing um, through the book of Ephesians in our current sermon series called Waging War. And as Brian just read the first half, we are in Ephesians 4 today. Um, and in reading through this chapter and in studying it, it just caused me to think about um, kind of our culture and how our culture um, informs and influences the church and our approach to church. And so I think that because our culture um, is very highly individualistic and consumeristic, um, when it comes to church, I think a lot of times, more often than not, we just want to feel comfortable in church. From where we meet, uh, to the amenities and the ministries that are offered, to the theology, to the leadership, we just want the church oftentimes to align with all of our beliefs and all of our felt needs. Kind of like the classic Burger King slogan, have it your way. We just want to have church our way. We don't want to feel awkward or uncomfortable. We don't want people to disagree with us. We don't want people to challenge us. Uh, and sometimes we don't really want to have to do all that much. We want others to do the heavy lifting and for us to kind of show up, sit back, and just reap the benefits. Um, and then once the church makes us too uncomfortable for too long, then it's easy we can just go to a different church um, that meets all of our felt needs. This happens all the time, uh, not just in Stillwater, but all over the country. Brett McCracken, he wrote a book called Uncomfortable, The Awkward and Essential Challenge of Christian Community. And he talks about some of these realities. In the intro to his book, he goes on for seven pages, seven pages about what his dream church would look like. He gets very, very detailed. I won't go into all the details, but he talks about a beautiful building that would be rented out for all sorts of events. He talks about a highly rated restaurant and coffee shop next door, um, theology that he perfectly agrees with in every single way, to the right coffee and pastries on Sunday mornings. These are just a few of the little details. He goes on for seven pages and said, this would be my dream church. And then yet he goes on to say in the book that the church where he is a member and an elder is nothing like this church. In fact, the church where he serves makes him pretty uncomfortable at times, he says. And he isn't afraid to say that. And this is because he says that our perfect dream church, that's not the point. That's not the church God has created and given to us. But McCracken says, what we think we want from church is almost never what we need. But oftentimes we prefer what we want and what makes us comfortable over what God knows that we need. And this can happen even in the church. I heard a story of a man who literally in the main aisle of a church sanctuary had a lazy boy recliner set up because that is what made him comfortable. That's what he required to be comfortable and to continue attending that church. But I think that there is spiritual warfare going on in this individualistic and consumeristic approach to church because if Christians are more concerned with themselves and all of their felt needs being met, then the church and the mission of God suffer. We don't grow into maturity in Christ, and we are less effective in the waging spiritual war that is going on. 
Just imagine that guy in his lazy void, but not in the middle aisle in his church, but in the middle of a battlefield. He's going to be taken out pretty quickly, and his battalion is going to be weaker. The powers of evil and darkness would love nothing more than for the church to be weak and ineffective. So oftentimes, in America at least, I think, this means that they try and make us comfortable. McCracken says, when the Christian church is comfortable and cultural, she tends to be weak. When she is uncomfortable and countercultural, she tends to be strong. So today we are going to talk about the reality, the biblical reality that God exercises his power in the church to accomplish his purposes of her growth and maturity, even though it's oftentimes uncomfortable. So again, we're in Ephesians 4 talking about all the ways that God calls us as individual Christians, but calls the church to things that make us uncomfortable a lot of the time. The powers of darkness, they would love for us to just pursue comfort, because in pursuing comfort, we are oftentimes weaker and less effective. But when we rest in the gospel, rely on the power of the Holy Spirit for our growth and maturity, we step into all that God has for Christ's church. So, We'll get started first, uh, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. We're going to talk about uncomfortable unity in the church. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So at the end of chapter 3, Paul, he has just prayed for the Ephesian church to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit to more fully comprehend the love and the power of God in Christ. And it's in receiving God's love and living in this power by the Holy Spirit that the Ephesians are able to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This calling, it's not to a particular place or to a particular ministry, but this is God calling sinners to himself through faith in Jesus, calling them into the body of Christ, calling them to live Christ-like lives in everything. And Paul, he considers these things to be very urgent and important. That's the language that he uses. So this Christ-like life we are called to live is a life characterized by humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. In humility and gentleness, we are to consider the well-being of others and be willing to lay down our own rights so that others might be benefited. We are to be patient with the shortcomings and failures of others. We are to endure when we are wronged by others and not lash out. We bear patiently with one another because we love them as Christ has loved us. So I think all of these things sound really nice and good on paper, but in practice, they are hard and oftentimes very uncomfortable and even undesirable. But this is consistent with God's calling on our lives to grow to be like Christ in everything, who Christ is gentle and lowly in heart, as we see in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus, he is always patient with us in our sinfulness, and he lovingly moves toward us to heal and forgive and redeem, not to punish and cast out. This is the type of love we have received from Jesus and the type of love that God calls us to give to others. And it is uncomfortable because our sinful nature doesn't want to do this. We see these things, these virtues in the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and we know, as Brian prayed in his prayer, that it is only in the power of the Holy Spirit 
that produces these fruit in us. And so we look to Christ. We rely on the Spirit's power to live this uncomfortable calling. And this, Paul says, is a calling to maintain the unity that exists in the church with eagerness. The CSB translation says, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This is the unity and the peace that exists between Jew and Gentile because of Christ. And Paul's language in the Greek is very strong. The language he uses is, it's as if there is a crisis happening, and it is of the utmost urgency for the Ephesian church to maintain the unity that they have received from Christ. And the motivation Paul gives is that the church of Christ is completely one and unified in everything. There is one faith because there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. There is one baptism by which people identify with Jesus and are welcomed into the body of believers. There is one Holy Spirit and one God and Father of all who reigns as sovereign Lord over the entire universe. Just as Father, Son, and Spirit are completely united, so too the church should be united and unified. The church, she is one in everything by definition. So we are to look to the love of Christ, rely on the power of the Spirit to maintain that unity at all costs. But again, this is uncomfortable for us to pursue, let alone to make every effort to maintain this unity. We are not eager to maintain unity because it goes against our sinfulness and our selfishness. We don't want to defer to others. We want others to defer to us. We want the church to serve us and to fulfill all of our personal preferences. So rather than stay at the same church and do the challenging work of loving people well as Christ has loved us and working hard to make every effort to maintain the unity that Christ won, we sometimes distance ourselves from others. We check out or we can just leave for another church. And this is exactly what the dark powers and rulers in authority, that's what they want. They would love for us to be consumeristic in the church, focusing primarily on what we want or what makes us comfortable instead of putting others before ourselves. They would love for us to be just an exclusive club that others don't feel welcome in. They would love for us to church hop, to never commit anywhere, or to cause division when we are unhappy or don't get our way. They would love for us to divide over anything and everything. But Christ... He has called us to commit to one local body, one local church, and to pursue unity, to make every effort to maintain that unity. But it doesn't just happen. We have to pursue it. I think it's easy to think that if we look at our church and we don't see any overt or explicit conflict, then we can think we are unified. But the absence of overt conflict does not necessarily mean that we are unified. It may mean that we aren't involved in each other's lives enough for there to be opportunities to pursue unity in the face of diversity and disagreement, or that there are these opportunities and we are choosing just to keep the peace rather than make peace, to pursue peace and reconciliation. Pursuing unity, it's uncomfortable, but it's worth it. In doing so, we grow to get together into Christ-likeness and we declare that Christ has defeated the powers of darkness at the cross, and he has created this beautifully diverse, yet completely unified church. Appearing, externally appearing unified because we all look, think, act, and vote the same way is not the unity that Christ has won for his church. And when we do this, we look no different than the world. 
who bands together around similarities in preferences in politics. And so this type of uncomfortable unity here at Redeemer will mostly be played out in gospel communities. You don't have to answer this question or raise your hand, but have you ever felt awkward in gospel community? Yeah, me too. And guess what? That's a good thing. Biblical community is uncomfortable because it is the coming together of very different people, but they are centered around the gospel of Jesus. But it's in these times of discomfort that we grow. So there will be times, if you haven't already experienced it, there will be times of discomfort at Redeemer. There will be times when people annoy and frustrate and hurt and disagree with you. But these are opportunities for us to be humble and gentle and patient and loving and to all grow together into maturity in Christ-likeness. We get to confess and repent and apologize. And we get to forgive and pursue reconciliation and peace and unity. We get to listen to others. We get to learn from others and sometimes change our mind on some things because we listened and learned. We get to recognize that there is far more that unites us in Christ than divides us. This is uncomfortable, but it is beautiful. And we get to live out a visible unity in the church, not a unity in name only. Unity in the church is not just sitting next to someone who is different than you on Sunday mornings, but inviting them over for dinner, playing disc golf together, helping each other move, being there for each other when there is a surprise emergency room visit. Others can tell when we are unified and, we are, and when we are not. We are called by Christ to unity. And the more unified we are, the more we declare the unity that Christ has won for us at the cross. And the more or the stronger we are as Christ's church in this waging spiritual war that is going on. So Paul, he continues by talking about uncomfortable ministry in the church, verses 7 through 13. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, not only is the church diverse racially and ethnically, but we are diverse when it comes to gifts. We see that Christ's grace is given to everyone in the church in the form of gifts. It is not just pastors or leaders who are given gifts, but everyone. And this is so that everyone in the church might be equipped for ministry so that the church can grow up together into maturity. So verse 8 might be kind of confusing. is quoting Psalm 68, 18. And that psalm talks about God triumphing over his enemies in ascending Mount Zion, leading prisoners behind him, which is highlighting his victory over them. And it says that he gives gifts to his people for their good. And so Paul, he quotes this psalm to apply those same realities to Jesus, saying that he descended to the lower regions, the earth, before he ascended. 
And so most likely, Jesus descending is talking about his descent from heaven to earth in the incarnation. But there is no doubt among scholars that Jesus is ascending far above all the heavens that he might fill all things is talking about Jesus' ascension to the right hand of the Father after being raised back from the dead. But the focus on these verses is on Jesus' ascent and his giving gifts to the church. Jesus ascending far above the heavens is probably referring back to Ephesians 1, 20 and 21, where Jesus was seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places far above all authority and power and dominion. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus, he has triumphed over dark powers in his resurrection and ascension. And so the captives mentioned in Psalm 68, which Paul quotes, might be the rulers and authorities that Jesus has conquered as king over everything, as the one who holds all power and authority. He gives gifts to his people for their good and for their growth. The church, she is Christ's body that he wants to build up and strengthen so that through the church, the cosmic rule and reign of Jesus spreads throughout the entire universe. And God, he gives spiritual gifts to everyone in the church, but verse 11 of chapter 4 tells us that he also gives people and the offices that they hold as gifts to the church. Apostles and prophets, they were those who helped to lay the foundation of the gospel as those who had uniquely received revelation from God and declared all the mysteries of Christ. Evangelists, they traveled around proclaiming the gospel, helping the church to grow. And shepherds and teachers is really talking about the same role in the church, pastor or elder. Pastors and elders, they nurture and care for the church, as well as build her up through the authoritative teaching of God's word. And the role of these ministers in the church is to equip believers, helping them to grow in their knowledge of the gospel and the truth of God's word and to grow in Christ's likeness. They prepare the people of the church for a purpose, for the work of ministry. Jesus has blessed his church with these ministers to help the members of the church serve the Lord by serving one another. And the goal of all of this is maturity in Christ, a greater knowledge of Christ and unity in the faith. So what this means at Redeemer is that me, Brian, and Tyler as pastors, we exist to equip you for the work of the ministry. That is our ministry. Your ministry is to use the gifts God has given you to serve the members of Redeemer so that we all together grow in faith, knowledge, maturity, and unity. And so this is talking corporately about the church growing in these ways, not just individuals. But I think that this can easily make us uncomfortable because ministry, the building up of the body of Christ, I think is often seen as something that only pastors do and maybe a few other leaders in the church. It's often viewed, I think, especially in the Bible, about that members that you just come to church and just receive from the pastors and these leaders. That's not what the Bible says. Verse 16 says that when we, each member of the body of Christ is working properly, the body grows because the body is building itself up in love. So the body of Christ grows when each one of you as members of the body are working properly by using your gifts and time and resources and abilities to help the church collectively grow up into maturity in Christ. It's not just the responsibility of us as pastors. It is your responsibility too. That is your ministry. Our ministry is to equip you for this. Comfortable Christianity says that we show up when we want, we sit back in our chairs and we receive so that we can grow in our faith in the ways that we want. 
uncomfortable Christianity says that we all come ready to use our gifts to serve one another in Christ so that we all together grow up into our one faith. And just logistically, if the growth of Redeemer is dependent on me, Brian, and Tyler as pastors, then we are in trouble because the three of us can never have all the gifts required for the growth and maturity of the church. We can never have all the time and bandwidth to do everything that the church needs. We need you. Redeemer needs you. We cannot start and lead every ministry. We cannot serve in every way that our church and community needs. We can't evangelize everyone. We cannot show hospitality and mercy to everyone. We cannot exhort everyone in the truth of the gospel on our own. Redeemer needs you and your gifts. And you are gifted. So how are you gifted? How are you using your gifts to build up Redeemer? Do you recognize gaps in our current ministries or see needs that are not being met? How can you help fill those gaps and meet those needs using your gifts? Do you see problems that need to be addressed? How can you help us address those things? Do you see ways that we can grow as a church? How can you lead out in using your gifts to help Redeemer grow, both numerically but in discipleship? You are gifted, and God has called you to use your gifts in the church to build her up in Christ. So how are you doing that? And using your gifts to build up the body does not mean that you have to lead a ministry because not everyone can lead and maybe not everyone should lead. But the hard work of ministry to which we are all called takes place every single day. It takes place in our gospel communities and DNA groups. It takes place in our homes and in our neighborhoods. If you want to use your gifts in the church and think that the only way that you can do this is by having a particular leadership position, elder, deacon, GC leader, whatever, then I think that maybe you need to reimagine what ministry means. Maybe you can and should lead in one of those capacities. And by all means, we want members to do that. We want to identify and develop members to lead at our church as elders, as deacons, as GC leaders in every other way. But we also need people to serve and pray and give and evangelize and teach, etc., in the more everyday life situations that we are all in. But the powers and authorities, they want us to be consumeristic and comfortable in the church. Always waiting for someone else to step up and use their gifts or someone else to step out and lead. The powers, they would love for us to think about ourselves primarily and not about how the entire body grows up into maturity. They would love for us to complain all the times of th about things, but not give grace to others or um, offer solutions. They want us to diagnose areas where growth is needed and not use our gifts to help that growth occur. They would love for us to idolize leadership positions and to argue about who is going to lead rather than faithfully use our gifts in service to the church day in and day out. They don't want the members of Redeemer to use their gifts so that we grow in maturity. But Redeemer, we need each one of you. We need your gifts. We need you to do the work of ministry so that Redeemer grows up and is built up together. So please come talk to us, me, Brian, and Tyler. Talk to us about ways that you are gifted, ways that you would love to serve, ways that you would love to lead to build up Redeemer. We want to empower our members to use their gifts and to lead, but remember, we don't have to lead in a particular way or exercise our gifts in a particular way to build up the church. 
Sometimes the most helpful things that contribute to the growth and health of the church are not very public at all. Like serving Redeemer through generosity, exhortation, acts of mercy, and even administration. These are all spiritual gifts listed in the Bible for the building up of the church. But this equipping for the work of ministry is for the church to grow up into an uncomfortable maturity. Verses 13 through 16. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the ultimate goal in the church that Paul is advocating for is corporate maturity. We together as the church are to grow up into mature manhood, Paul says. This is saying that our growth and maturity as the body of Christ is to be that of a full-grown adult. But the standard for all of us, the standard for the church, is the fullness of Christ. And the reason Paul gives for this maturity is so that we will not be deceived by false teaching. So the contrast in these verses between the full-grown adults and immature children is highlighting individualism in the church. Because there is a difference between the church collectively growing into one full-grown adult and the plural children who are isolated and being tossed around by this storm. Because when we are separated from the community of the church that is growing together as the body into maturity— we are like ignorant and immature children who are all on our own. This makes us susceptible to being deceived by false teaching because we do not benefit from the other members of the body who are there to help us to grow into maturity and into the knowledge of Jesus. When we have an individualistic approach to church, we are like small rudderless boats who are blown all over the place by the wind and the waves of life and false teaching. So this would be the difference between like a small blow-up life raft and a huge stable cruise ship. The cruise ship can withstand the storm and navigate through it. The small rudderless blow-up life raft is at the mercy of the wind and waves and will go wherever they blow it. God's plan is for the church to grow up together into maturity so that we can be united and withstand the storms of life leaning on Christ and each other. We use our gifts to speak the truth of the gospel to one another in love so that we can mature. This is how the body of Christ builds itself up into greater maturity. But as everything else we've been talking about, this is hard because of individualism, because of all the other worldviews that we are often presented with. We can always be led astray by new theological fads or by mixing false doctrine in with what the Bible teaches. And again, this is what the dark powers and authorities, that's what they want. They want us to be deceived by all the cultural truth claims that are contrary to Scripture. They want us to spend hours alone online looking into non-Christian philosophies, conspiracy theories, the latest deconstruction narratives, coming to conclusions on these things alone without discussing them in the community of the church. They want us to be taken captive more by our politics than by the gospel. And these are all easier to do 
when we are not connected to a local church or when we don't discuss or process these things in the community of the church, but just do it all by ourselves. Maturity in Christ together is uncomfortable because it requires being faithfully committed to a local church and being faithfully committed to the maturity of others, not only my own maturity. It requires letting others speak into your life and growing to conform your life to God's word by the Spirit instead of believing that you already have everything already figured out. This means being humble, not prideful, and recognizing that you, I, we may be wrong on some things. It means upholding both speaking the truth of the gospel to others and fully loving others. Because if we only have love, I think especially our culture's understanding of love, then we will not challenge or correct people in their false doctrine in the ways that it is harmful. We will just affirm them in everything. And if we only speak the truth, but we don't have love, then we can sometimes bludgeon people with the truth. They don't want anything to do with us. They don't want to listen to us or be around us. And we might even push them further away from the church or even from the faith. So we need both truth and love together. For that is what Christ did for us. That's how we grow to maturity in Christ together as his body. And this maturity in Christ means that we will live an uncomfortable life. Verses 17 to 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So the Ephesian Christians, they once lived in darkness. They had hard hearts toward God. They wanted nothing to do with him and they gave in to their every sinful desire. And indeed, that's what we all did before coming to faith in Jesus. But no more, Paul says. The truth of the gospel says that we are all sinners in need of forgiveness and salvation, and that God freely forgives us by his love and grace through our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. But now that we are in Jesus, we are new creations. And we are called to live as the new people that we are. And so we see this transfer out of darkness into light in Colossians 1, 13 through 14. It says, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Because of the love and grace of God, he has used his mighty power to snatch us from the kingdom of darkness where we were slaves to sin, where we were alienated from the life of God, and God has placed us in the kingdom of light where Jesus is king. He did this by forgiving us and redeeming us in Christ and bringing us from death to life. And the power of God alone has done this. And so now, being in Christ, we are called to actively and daily put off our old self and to put on our new self. We are saved by grace through faith, not good works. But now that we are saved and we are in Christ, we are called to live like Jesus in everything. 
But again, the powers, they don't want us to live this way. They want us to keep going back to the old way of life where we reveled in darkness. Where the deception of the devil and our sinful desires calls us to live in ways that dishonor God and were just really bad for us. But now, in Christ, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of Christ. Though our sin nature still has deceitful desires, we can overcome them through being renewed in the power of the Holy Spirit to desire Christ more than we desire sin. These sinful desires are deceitful because they promise us, they promise us happiness and joy in life, but they only bring death and destruction. But when we behold Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, when we are renewed in our minds and we put on the new self in Christ, we see that Christ is life's greatest desire and, his great, and our greatest joy. He is the way and the truth and the life. And so choosing to live every day in accordance with the new self in Christ, it's uncomfortable because of the temptation to sin both internally and externally. Intentionally choosing to live for righteousness and holiness is difficult. But because of Christ, we can fight together to kill sin and pursue holiness in the power of the Holy Spirit. As Romans 12:2 says, we can be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In Redeemer Church, we will be healthier for pursuing these things and intentionally living in this way. And so lastly, Paul, he talks about uncomfortable community in the church. Verses 25 through 32. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So Paul, he goes on to describe what it looks like to live as the new people we are in Christ, in the community of the church, and to no longer live how we once did outside of Christ. So he says, we no longer lie to each other, but we speak the truth to our neighbors. And our neighbor is a fellow member of the church, of the body of Christ, and they have a right to the truth. Paul says we are to not sin when we get angry. And every commentator talks about the difference between righteous anger and sinful anger, because righteous anger is not sinful. Jesus himself was righteously angry at the injustice happening when he overturned the money tables in the temple in Mark chapter 11. But anger, even righteous anger, can turn to bitterness and resentment and wrath. So we should kind of put a time stamp, Paul says, on our anger. We should not let it last very long. We should not do nothing about it. But when we are angry, even righteously angry, we should do something quickly so that it doesn't turn into sin. Paul says that those who were formerly thieves should not only discontinue stealing, but they should work hard and earn a wage so that they can share with those who are in need. 
Christians, we are to be generous to share with others and meet their needs, particularly fellow members in the body of Christ. Christians, Paul says, should not use harmful or unwholesome language, but are to intentionally choose words that will give grace to others and build them up in Christ. I think that Matthew 12, 36 comes to mind where Jesus warns us that we will all give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word that we have spoken. These careless words, whether harsh, abusive, vulgar language, gossip, or slander, these things harm the community of Christ. But wholesome, encouraging words build up the church. But when we live in accordance with the old person, we grieve the Holy Spirit, Paul says, but also we harm the body of Christ. Lying, anger, bitterness, slander, stealing, unwholesome talk, and malice hurt and divide the church. So we are to put them away. Paul says that the devil stands ready and eager to take advantage of every opportunity in our lives to cause us to sin and to harm the church. The devil, he is just waiting for his chance to exert his evil power in the church. And we can give him greater opportunities by giving in to temptation to partake in sin. Pursuing the new life in Christ is spiritual warfare because the devil does not want us to be like Christ. He wants to pull us away from God and to pull us away from one another, even though Jesus has brought reconciliation and peace and unity between us and God and us and each other. He wants to divide us so that we are less effective in the mission of God. The devil, he wants wickedness to reign in the church, not righteousness. But we are new creations, and we are a new community in Christ. We are called to pursue holiness together in the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of God and for the health and the maturity of the body. And this maturity reveals itself in righteous living, in knowing and living for the truth of the gospel, and in love and in peace and in unity in the church. Paul says that we are to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. We need the power of God to help us live this way. We cannot do it on our own. We need to pray for the power of God to help us and to help each other, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to live this way. But of course, it's not easy. A lot of times we'd rather keep our sin struggles to ourselves rather than sharing them with others so that they can point us to Jesus. We'd rather keep all our money and resources to ourselves instead of sharing them with others. We'd rather speak the truth in love to others when it's comfortable, when everyone will say, amen, but not when it might challenge someone or they might push back. We'd rather let bitterness and resentment reign in our hearts than confess our sins and pursue reconciliation and peace with others. We'd rather stay silent in gospel community or DNA group or wherever than speak words of grace that fit the occasion so that the community might be built up. And if the devil won't get us to sin in any of these ways, then he'll keep us from doing the things that Paul commands us to do here. He'll keep us from saying and doing what we need to so that the church grows up into greater health, into greater maturity in Christ. The devil, he wants our growth in Christ to stagnate, for us to be immature, for the church to be divided. Pursuing this type of Christ-like life in community is hard. It's uncomfortable. It requires vulnerability and openness. 
It requires sharing all that God has given us with others. It requires welcoming people into our community who are different than us. And yes, even people who we might say are messy. In the church in Ephesus, there were former thieves. Are we in community with any former thieves? Any felons or drug addicts? Are we sharing Christ with them and walking with them through what it looks like to follow Jesus? If not, why not? This type of community is difficult and yes, even messy at times. But this is the beautiful community of the church that Christ has purchased in power by his blood shed on the cross. This is the community that makes no sense to the world, but declares the power of God to transform lives and bring people together who have no business spending time together if it weren't for Jesus. So may we constantly come back to the gospel and rely on the power of God to live this way so that Christ might be magnified in the world. So the church that Jesus has created is uncomfortable. My guess is that every single one of you felt uncomfortable at some point during this sermon. I have. This life, this community, it makes me uncomfortable. But I see and have experienced the beauty of this blood-bought, diverse community of Christ. I want us all here at Redeemer to grow in Christ's likeness and maturity together. I want to see people transfer from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light in Christ. I want to see lives transformed for Jesus. I want the beauty, power, and glory of God to be magnified at Redeemer Church. I want Stillwater to take notice of our church and the powers of darkness to be afraid of what God is doing in our midst. What he didn't know is that I'm basically done, but (laughs) appreciate it. (laughs) You're already basically up here, so I didn't want to say anything. But we cannot live this way. But the power of God through the Holy Spirit can help us. The power of God can produce all of these things in our lives and here at Redeemer Church. Even though it may be uncomfortable, my prayer is that we would together rely on God to exercise his power in Redeemer Church to accomplish his purposes of our growth and maturity together to the glory of Christ in Stillwater and in the world. Let's pray. Lord, Thank you for uncomfortable passages of scripture, like Ephesians chapter 4. God, thank you for forgiving us through faith in Jesus, not by our own works, but by the power of God. Thank you that you have brought us from death to life. Thank you that you have given us a new life in Christ. Thank you that you have brought us together as a diverse yet unified community in Christ. Thank you that you've called us to live a beautiful life and live in a beautiful community, Lord, that glorifies you, that is good for our growth in Christ-likeness, and that declares to the powers and authorities in the world, Jesus, that you have won. So, Lord, help us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you have been working in every one of our hearts this morning to feel healthy conviction about ways that we are not trusting you, ways that we are not living personally the way that we are called to live in Christ, and ways that we are not pursuing the unity and the peace and the love and the Christ-likeness here at Redeemer that you have called us to pursue. 
So help us, God. Give us wisdom and discernment and insight into how to trust and honor and obey you in our lives in a Redeemer church. God, let Stillwater take notice of our church. Let the powers and authorities be afraid, God, of what you are doing in and through Redeemer Church as people are built up and grow up into maturity in Christ-likeness and people are transferred from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom, God, of your beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we thank you and we praise you for these things and we pray all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.